the story, shamans. I'm Professor Bones. I'm Dr. Bones. And you've entered the Bones Cave. Let's get this going. Woo! First things first, this week, I'm choosing the topic. I've decided what we're going to talk about. Dr. Bones here, he has no idea. Oh, no. He has no idea uh, what we're about to talk about. Uh, <laughs> Are you ready, Dr. Bones? I am prepared. Today, we're talking about the Matrix. Oh, what? <laughs> He's excited, animals. Oh, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, ready. I'm ready. Oh, man, I'm ready. Okay. Okay, let's go. Woo! First thing I want to talk about. Expected. I know. I know. <laughs> I have to keep you on your toes. Oh, boy. First thing. Here's what I want to talk about. Okay. I want to talk about genre. I want to talk about Ooh. how the Matrix just mixed everything under the sun to make a beautiful little cake. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? I do, I do. We got kung fu. Yeah. We got futuristic sci-fi. Ah, that's true. We got hard philosophy. Oh, yeah. You know how I feel about that. Yep. Action movie. A <laughs> little bit of romance. Teeny bit. Yeah. Just, a, just a little bit. We'll get to that later. Almost philosophically romantic. <laughs> a little cold. Not really cozy. That's oh. okay. That's okay. It's all right. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> the genres. The genres. The effect it had on the whole landscape. Redefine things. And all it did was just mix a couple of things together. Well, that's true. It's amazing. It was like they, uh, they came at it from a beautiful simplicity. Mm -hmm. They just said, here's all the stuff I love. Do you like it too? And everybody went, yeah. Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, we do. I do indeed. <laughs> we do. They took, they definitely took that, that sci-fi. Mm -hmm. And everybody was pointing pretty clear at, uh, you know, Ghost in the Shell. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, anime in general. Sure. And saying, look, they're just live action versions of this. Well, that's just Eastern philosophy, you know, that's, well, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm taking everything. Yeah, it's not right. limited to just anime, you know. No, but you know, but just that high concept adult animated, yeah, like, yeah. stuff you can only really pull off when somebody's drawing it. Sure. You know, at least in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. And they were like, ha look at that, it's real people. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's shoot up some watermelons. <laughs> Let's jump across rooftops. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we got, uh, you know, that, uh, that hard philosophy, too. It was almost the same idea. People pointing at, uh, Plato's Allegory of the Cave and going, I just did that. You know, but with sci-fi and anime. Yeah, what, what do you mean, just? Oh, they just did uh, the you know, thing ever, yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's sort of elitist, you know, a little bit like, oh, I've already heard of this, so this is dumb kind of reaction. Yeah, that's what everybody was saying when the first Matrix came out. Which I... Oh, I've seen this before. <laughs> I know all of I understood what this uh, was. I did hear a few people were just like, I don't know why everybody's so in love with it. Uh, and I was like, you are so wrong, I can't even handle this right now. You just can't appreciate it. It's too cool. You just don't, you don't like it because everybody likes it. That's basically what it is. It's the popular band syndrome. Mm, I guess. Yeah, let's, I mean, not, let's not talk about them. Let's not talk about them. <laughs> That's fair. Let's, yeah. Let's start at the beginning. Let's, okay. Let's go to the first one. Oh, man. We're tackling all three? Oh, yeah. We're, yeah, we're talking about all three. That's oh, the first one. Oh, buddy, I guess okay. I was a little misleading. I said the Matrix. Woo! I meant the Matrix trilogy. Oh, man. Okay. Let's branch out a little bit. Is this going to be four hours? No. Uh, no. We have one hour. Damn it. you got to rein yourself in. All right. If I must. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. Just all right. the Matrix. Just, all right. Start at the first. Let's do it. What do you think the main takeaway is? Oh, God. You know, I said this last time. I should be prepared for the question. Mm -hmm. I'm not. <laughs> I am. What's the main takeaway from it? Okay. What's coming to mind first? What do you think? What's the first thing? What's, what's the legacy of that first movie? You walk oh. out of it. It seeps into your head. You get it. What are you walking yeah. away with? Well, I, I mean, there are a couple of things, but the first... The 
first, I guess, most, like, personal thing. I would say you walk away from that first movie, take it away. It wasn't just that it was well done sci-fi. It wasn't just that you were seeing effects work. They're like, yeah, maybe, maybe you'd seen, like, a commercial that had done the bullet time-ish stuff before. But, like, you'd never really seen it done in a way that, like, punched you in the guts and said, Oh my god, look at how cool that is. Look at a story effectively using it in a way that really gets you. It was almost the more, more the thing I take away is that it was a beautifully executed sci-fi action philosophical big blockbustery summer movie type thing, but that it left on such a high note that like you just wanted to punch the sky, like like it just it was it's one of the premier examples of rocket boots. Okay, you're talking about like the last thirty seconds of the movie. Yes, mm-hmm. just like everything's so damn cool, and then you get to that last shot or two and you're like oh i want oh i just want the second one right now <laughs> and you gotta wait five years <laughs> i'm not sure i can think off the top of my head i'm sure there are probably examples but off the top of my head another movie that i had seen up until that point that really crystallized that rocket boots idea what are rocket boots professor Potts? Rocket boots is a term we like to use to describe when you get to the end of a story, it just elevates itself into the stratosphere. Yeah. It's usually used when we're talking about TV shows. Yeah. You know, where the series finale elevates the entire series, you know, it reverberates backwards. You thought the series was like a solid B, but then that finale hits and you're like, oh, God, I was wrong. A plus. A plus. It's, it's so great. good. Everything else becomes that much cooler. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't happen too often. No. But sometimes, and it's called rocket boots. And you're right, you're right, Matrix had it, the first one. Right? Definitely had it. That idea of leaving, you know, the movie house, leaving the cinema, and you feel inspired. Yeah. You know, that's that's really a testament to how good it was, because nobody cares if that first 20 minutes was slow. No. The middle was kind of lame. No. If you get them in that last 20 minutes, they're like, the whole thing was brilliant. It's and you're like, oh, what, what about that flabby middle? Uh, what about that beginning? <laughs> that barely made sense. You're like, I don't care. The it's, ending, you got me. It's the most important part. The end is just so good, I don't care anymore. It's all building towards that climax, so when you get it, what, what else matters? Yeah, it just, it did. It made me want to see the second one, like, right now. And for a movie that feels very uh, self-contained, almost, it's got it. It's got all these pieces that like make it feel like a world that's already existed. Mm-hmm. But that friggin' last, last drive to the end, you're just like, oh, it's a very contained story. Like he fought the bad guy, he won. Like he blew him up from the inside out. Like what else is there to do at that point? But you're like, no. Just in this last few beats. Oh my God, there's so much more to do. Oh, it's over. No. <laughs> It is inspiring creatively, too, just the idea of how big the world is, what you could do. You start imagining what the next one would be. Yeah. And your head just spins for the next five years because you got to wait for it. (laughs) Yeah, you do. But there's so much there. There's so much to do. It's just fantastic. That would would, would definitely be my my main takeaway from that first one. Mm -hmm. What uh, hit me with it? What's yours? Mine, I think. I thought about it. I had some time. Yeah. And I'm thinking, really, when I think about the first one, I think about a hero's journey. Okay. That's all I'm thinking about, how they just Uh did it expertly. If you're familiar with it, Joseph Campbell stuff, it's all mythic storytelling stuff. Yeah, that monomyth. Monomyths, you know, it just tracks a hero's journey from beginning to end, and it follows through all of these ideas. It follows through these steps. And when you're familiar with it, you recognize it. You're like, oh, I see what you're doing. But with The Matrix, it's like, I see what you're doing, and I love it. And it still works. It's still great. You're doing it better than I could have even thought. You could have asked me, what would you do for this? And I'm like, that's a better idea. You do that. That's why you're making the movie. I'm watching it. (laughs) You know? 
And they got to, with the particular story they're telling, they got to, they got to do very, like, the, s- the supernatural-ish bits. Like apotheosis, or like reaching a, ki- a type of godhood that typically is mentioned in that, that hero's journey. Like, you know, a lot of the times, especially if it's a modern tale, it's more of a metaphor. It's more of a, like, oh, I got past my bullshit, my stuff, or, you know. But here, you got to do, like, almost very literal versions of the steps. But because it was sci-fi, because of the the veneer of reality type setup, it all got to feel like modern, real-ish, but with like a bit of a cyberpunk bent. So you you got to do supernatural stuff, but you didn't actually get into like dragons and magic. Yeah, it's, it's mythic, but because yeah. it's sci-fi, you don't feel like it's got that magic to it. It's a yeah. different vibe, and so it takes you in a different direction. You're always thinking kind of Greek mythology stuff, and you're thinking, you know, <laughs> the death and the resurrection, and it's like Hercules story going into Hades, and, yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. But they're doing it here. Gonna die to come back, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and uh, mixing it like all the genre stuff I'm talking about. They're taking elements. Yeah. Uh, we want to do this. We want to do all this Joseph Campbell stuff, and we want to talk about all of this. And it is textbook. I mean, yeah. when you look at it like this is literally breaking it down. I mean, yeah. nobody's necessarily using that textbook at the time. Now it's no, a I'm more not. so because pretty sure they were aware of it. But yeah, they yeah. weren't. Uh, they weren't like blandly trying to paint the numbers. Yeah, major studio movies. They weren't doing stuff like this. And that's part of what made it so great. Yeah. You know, they were bringing these ideas. There was a there's a story about George Lucas. You know, he, uh, he was reading up on Campbell back in the day, before Star Wars. So this had to be at least the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's reading a lot of Joseph Campbell stuff. Campbell was still alive at the time. Okay. And, uh, and he fell in love with it. He was like, oh my god, oh, he just cracked it all open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, secrets of the universe here. So uh, he learned all of it, like digested all of it, and then he tried to build a story around it, painting by the numbers. Okay. And, uh, and I forget, it was an interview with somebody, but he was saying how he's like, it all just fell flat. It just felt like it was dumb. <laughs> it was just, it was heartless BS. I mean, he wasn't that good at it. Well, well, that's probably that's part of it, yeah. I mean, he was especially early in his career, right? But then, in the same interview, I think, he was saying that uh, it was only once he stopped trying to be deliberate about it. Mm-hmm. He stopped trying to paint the numbers. He stopped trying to fit all of the pieces that should be here in. There you go. He just let his unconscious provide what was inspired out of what he was attempting to do. And then, that's when he got, like, the first draft of Star Wars. There you go. He's getting it now. And then everybody's like, oh, oh, this is really good. You should keep, yeah, stick with this. <laughs> do this, do this. Or like a bunch of drafts later, he actually makes the movie. Sure. Everybody falls in love with it, and he does, uh, you know, almost nothing else for the rest of his life. Okay, okay. <laughs> We're not talking about Star Wars here. We're talking I know. about Matrix. Just saying. Let's bring it back. Yeah, it's definitely got that monomyth hero's journey going on. That's my main takeaway. Somebody to do it so expertly, and you just nail it. Yeah. That audiences don't really know any of that stuff, and that's fine. They watch it, and they're like, that was great. I can't explain why, but it was. Yeah. And then even as writers and storytellers, you watch it, and you're like, I can tell you why. But that's still magic. They still got me. Yeah. That's how good the first one was. Yeah. I love it. Yo, know, and, and as flawed as two and three are, if we can just jump ahead for just a second, we'll come back. They, uh, it continues. It does. They do go ahead and do another... Mono friggin' hero's journey for the three, mm-hmm. where one was just the first act of this whole trilogy, mm-hmm. and they don't, you know, they don't necessarily nail it on all cylinders. But it is interesting that given how much they did and how, for a single character, that was a lot of a change for a single person, mm-hmm. not first flick. But two and three, they do spiral out into things, more stuff to do, bigger hills to climb, mm-hmm. grander plateaus to reach. Well, let's just dive in. Matrix Reloaded. What do you think? What's the main takeaway from okay. 2? Oh, goodness. 
Oh, man. It's a complicated movie. I'm gonna go, you know, let, let's, I don't even know what the second one is, but I'm gonna go, I'm, I'm gonna need two. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. First one, the takeaway isn't so much an in-story thing or anything. Okay. It's, uh, the main takeaway for Reloaded. Yeah. For me, would be that if you put a bunch of work into a lot of your cubbies, but you don't nail the surface stuff, you don't nail the obvious moment-to-moment -moment plot stuff. You don't nail the execution of the surface obvious character stuff. Yeah, it almost doesn't matter how much work you put into the rest of it. Because even if it's beautiful, and it's elegant, and it's, and it's deep, and it's layered, nobody's gonna care. <laughs> because you screwed up the paint job on the front, like on the surface of the car. Doesn't matter what the engine looks like, nobody wants to get inside. Sure. Well, that, that sounds a little more like what's missing from two. Well, alright. That's my next question, so you answered that one. <laughs> That's what you think is missing, the surface layer. Well. It's been smoother, maybe some of those rough edges. Yeah, and there are a few. There are a few. There are quite a few. There's, I mean, I mean, let's, uh, let's just get this out in the open, because it's not obvious yet. I love these movies. As do I. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, all three of them. You know, and a lot of people hate on two, and for some reason they tend to hate even more on three, but you know, two and three feel almost equally flawed, but whatever. I wouldn't even say that they're that flawed, and I don't I don't want to talk about them like, like they're bad movies and we're making excuses for what happened. Like, no, I am still like an A- minus of a movie when the first one was an A+, <laughs> you know? Yeah. For me. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if I'd go A-. minus. I'm, a, I'm a, you know. I mean, I'm, I love I'm, it I'm to a death. I'm a tough audience sometimes. <laughs> but, I, you know, when I see something that works and I see something good, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm going to yeah. point it out. I'm going to say two and three. Oh, yes. The surface, like you're talking about. Some of the delivery aspects of it. Yeah. Yes. There are problems. You know, some of the effects didn't work too great either. They got a little ahead of themselves. Well, yeah, there's that too. And the uh, technology wasn't quite there. It didn't quite work out. They ran the same gamble they did on the first one, and they nailed it on the first, and they, it didn't work out in the second. There are flaws. Yes, but storytelling-wise, the ambition, what they're trying to do, nobody else is trying to do that. Nobody else is trying to bring that level of heat. Okay, well, yeah. You know, and for that, I'm already, you're already in the ace. Yeah, yeah. Okay. all right, all right, yeah. Attempt. And then if you make, you make most of it, you know, you stumble a little bit, I don't care. <laughs> Come on, every movie's got stumbles. I mean, they definitely brought their A-game. They, they definitely, they swung for the fences. So I guess to talk about like, hey, oh, you didn't really put it over that fence. It's like, yeah, but like everybody else is hitting them in the friggin' infield. Nobody's even trying. Nobody's yeah. Babe Ruthing it over here. And there's just a lot of great stuff in there. I mean, maybe there not the first time you watch it through, you're like, I don't know what I just watched. Like, you know, yeah. go again. Yeah, take a look. There's a lot of stuff there. It's They are trying on, on like 14 levels and most people play it one or two. Maybe that's the mistake, you know, they're trying to do too much. Yeah, and to be fair, right, they had... Yeah, from like first to shooting draft on that first movie, they had like almost five years. And we were saying the next ones didn't come out for like five years, which is almost true. Like, 99's the first movie, 2003, Reloaded comes out. A lot of that was the effects, and you know, like... Oh well, yeah, there's a lot of posts. They built a freeway, you know, like... <laughs> they did. You can't do that till the scripts are written. And they also, they, they wrote the script for Reloaded, Matrix 2. They wrote the script for Revolutions, Matrix 3. They wrote the script... For, uh, what was it, four, four different animated shorts for the Animatrix. Yes, I want to get to that. And they wrote an entire video game script. Yeah, they did. And then they were, you know, directing and producing and, and you know, generally exec producing all of these things. Not alone, but that's, you're trying to do like four massive projects and shoot two movies at once in the same amount of time that you did one. So, that's pretty nuts. The fact that, you know, yes, these stories, these scripts could have been a little bit more polished, 
They, they could have used a little more love and care before they were really out there in the world. Yeah, that's probably true. They tried to do a lot in even less time. Mm -hmm. But, but also, yeah. let's not make excuses. Let's, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. talk about what it is. Yeah, I what, just, you know, when everybody you know. talks about these things, they, they bring it up. Yeah. So I feel, uh, I figure, why not? But yeah, okay, fine. What, what's the main takeaway that's not like a what's missing? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Everywhere, oh man. <laughs> uh, when I when I think yeah, about uh, when I think about two, give me a second. All right. Uh, you, you think about it. you listen to this Professor Bones talk for a little <laughs> bit. All right. Get the doctor to think. <laughs> My main takeaway: I think about two, the story in general. The first one was all about the hero's journey. It was all about the self-actualization. It was all about his evolution of this character of Neo. Yes. No, I think two. It's really playing out in that journey because we are going to track this guy through three movies. Yeah. And it is a fantastic journey. If you're looking at just Neo's story, yeah, it's the best part of these movies. Yeah. But two, it goes back a little bit to what I was talking about last week when we were talking about Batman and we were talking about Superman. It's this guy kind of ascends to godhood. Yeah. And everybody's looking at him like he's a messiah. Yeah. And they're playing that angle, and he's he's trying to be that, but you know, not really in a, in a Jesus way, or not really. In like a Hercules yeah. way, even though he is a fighter, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Pulling the the Eastern philosophy, it's a lot more spiritual. Yeah. And this idea kind of comes down to free will, and it comes down to choice. Yeah. The choice was a really big part of the first one with the red pill. It was. Pill, and that's that's a huge cornerstone of that movie. But in two, they just turn it up. <laughs> they turn up all these ideas about fate and destiny, you know, and providence. And Morpheus yeah. is always talking about this, and Neo's kind of wrestling with that idea of, of divine, not just intervention, but like it's all been planned out. Yeah, it's all... You just need to play your part and walk the line. He's like... forward. But that's not what I do. I'm a, I'm a hacker, man. I, I break those rules. I operate outside of the system. Yeah. And it comes <laughs> down to that choice. Like, that's my thing. <laughs> that's literally what they all do. So it's like, yeah. obvious. You're talking about this so much, but you're a yeah. hacker too, man. Yeah, they cranked up the dogmatism on him, like, yeah. to, to 11. Which, you know... But what? it made sense, because he was living his life by by what he saw. Yeah, that, that prophecy, those ideas that, like, I'm going to find the one, and he's going to be a guy who does these things, and... We're definitely gonna free everybody. Like, our goal will be achieved. Mm -hmm. All of that was fed to him by mm -hmm. someone else. But he did, in a certain sense, choose to accept it. Like, he chose to choice. dedicate his path. So I feel like, right, like, like I don't feel like he's completely unself-aware. No, that's, that's where the balance comes in, that Morpheus does make hard choices. The first movie yeah. is a lot about hard choices. And the Oracle telling them, trying to guide them through this path. Yeah. And Neo always says, like, I have to make a choice when they were going to kill yeah. Morpheus because he was taken captive. And Neo's like, Hi, it's go time. I have yeah. to follow my gut. I have to make these hard calls because that's me. That's what I do. Yeah, this is the situation meeting who I am. Yeah. And between the two, here's what's happening. I'm going to go save that guy. And that's, that's uh -huh. the role that he was put in, too. And then in Reloaded, it applies to all of the human race. It's not just the Nebuchadnezzar anymore, just this crew on the ship. It's everybody. You gotta make the hard calls for everybody. Yeah. That's why I think about the end of Reloaded. He's in the white room and he's talking to the architect. Yeah. And it's just make an impossible decision right now. Just make this crazy. Yeah. You gotta save everybody. Are you gonna reboot the entire system? Are you gonna work within the confines of the system that have been built around you? Yeah. And reset this system and have everything go back to the way it was and perpetuate this system of control. And of yeah. course the build-up of two movies. We get to this point, and he says, nah, <laughs> I'm gonna go save Trinity, and we're gonna figure something else out. Yeah. Because this is not the answer. Control is never the answer. Your BS plan is not the answer. Exactly. It's the comfortable choice, but it's not the one I'm going for. It's the 
simple one. It's the easy one. That's not what he does. Seems like the obvious and clear one. There, he's even it's spelled out for him. Hey, guy, five other people have already done it. Yeah. This is the what you do. This is what you were built for, dummy. He's like, no, dog. Can't do it. Everything about society and reality itself is telling him this is what you have to do. This is the plan. All the pressure. The entire human human race. <laughs> human race. Human race. The human race. The humanity race. race. The humanity. For the sake of everybody. You gotta yeah. make this choice. You gotta do the easy, simple thing. Yeah. And he says, no. I think that whole scene is the best part. It's one of my favorite parts of all three movies. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's dense. Oh, some, it's dense. Some people are watching it, and they're like, I don't even know what's happening. The architect is using too many words. I don't understand <laughs> the gist. I can't appreciate it because I'm not I'm not getting it. I wasn't really listening. Oh, I got to pay attention. <laughs> right? But they do, but the Wachowskis do a good job, I feel, mm. trying to make it as easy as they can while still doing what they intend to do with the architect. Mm. So, like, yes, he's going to sound verbose. He's going to sound complicated. He's going to say a lot of stuff to you elegantly, but quickly and densely, and he's going to expect you to keep up. And then they just have Neo give it to you. If you don't know what he said, he'll literally just say it. He's going to say, This is about Zion. <laughs> if you didn't understand what's going on, Neo just clarified it for you. Choice. The problem is choice. He makes it simple for you to follow along. That's some of the best Neo stuff. That's Neo in full, full, full blast Neo. Neo. Full blast Neo. Incredibly smart, not really giving anything away. He's just taking it all in and oh. he's thinking. Yeah. And he just simplifies all of this complicated. It's kind of like sorcery. It's kind of like he's trying to confuse <laughs> Neo to make him think. It's a form of pressure and control and manipulation. Oh, yeah. Authority. And Neo, he just cuts right through it. Yeah. Just like you're talking about Zion. This is about Zion. Yeah. You would... don't want me to do this. I'm not going to do that. He didn't even say it. He just started walking towards the door. He didn't <laughs> say his choice. He, he didn't even like, tell him. It's just like the pills. It's just this this door or this door. And Neo just starts walking towards the other door. Boop. I'm out. He I'm to save my girlfriend. We're going to figure this out, Ty guy. <laughs> it is. It's full blast Neo. You know, like, you know, it's an action movie. It's sci-fi. And people sometimes are like, oh, not too much character work. And it's like, well, I think you're not paying attention. I feel like there is actually quite a bit. Like, Neo is an incredibly smart dude. And they, they, they take moments to show you that, but they're not obvious about it. They don't walk you through it. They don't hold your hand and go, hey, look at how smart this guy is or something. Like, no, I, partly because we're doing other stuff. We're doing a lot of plot stuff. We're doing a lot of the, you know, high-minded philosophy stuff. But we're also do moments like this where it's like, the guy's so quick. He's basically just listening to, like, the demigod of the reality system. And he's just like, yeah, I get it. Okay. And this is about this. All right. What? Okay, I made my choice. <laughs> it's just like... He thinks so much, he didn't even have to think about it. Like, the decision was already made, and it plays yeah. into this like into He's thinking about it while he's saying and, it. And, you know, the path and everything that he's going to do, it's kind of like what Oracle was telling him, that, you know, you wonder, you only see past the choices that you understand. Yeah. The choices that have already been made before you had to say it. And Neo's yes. kind of there. He already knows what the answer is, because he knows who he is. True. I love that. And it's beautiful, too, though, that he doesn't know what's beyond that. That that's part of why he can't see beyond, I think Trinity dies, and there's a door of light, and I don't know what that's about. And it's like, because that's where the map ends. You don't know what you're going to do after that, guy. He's reached his peak of how much he understands about himself and about what he's doing. So when he takes the leap, he's literally just leaping into the unknown. We know yeah. he doesn't know anything past this point. Yeah. That's great. It, just, it makes the, the, the decision that much harder and impressive. He yeah. didn't even think about it. He's <laughs> like, 
I'm going this way. Just thought about it while he's talking. He's just like, okay. I know what I gotta do. I'm doing it. See ya. Yeah, he's like, all right. I didn't know that stuff, but I made my choice. <laughs> that's the main takeaway for me. You're watching the whole movie, and that's literally that's what they're talking about the entire time. And yes, the Merovingian straight up talks about choice and causality. Yeah. And the lack of choice. You see, there is only one constant. One universal, it is the only real truth. Causality. Action, reaction, cause, and effect. Everything begins with choice. No, wrong. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. And all of this, and he, you know, he just talks for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And it might be a better <laughs> way to communicate these ideas instead of a Frenchman just kind of talking to you about cake. <laughs> yeah. You know. Orgasm cake, and you know, power, right? Right. Causation. So he's a confusing guy. You're not really sure what he's talking about, but you know what he's talking about. <laughs> You get it, but it, uh, that that brings me. I think I've. I think I know what my takeaway is. What do you think? It's uh, especially too specific for Reloaded. It's like it's like it's about a lot of stuff, but it's a big part of it. It's about almost the the impotence of strength. Impotence. Yeah, like what? Like at the end of the first movie, he's he's almost a demigod, right? Like he can fly, he can kung fu people all day. He jumped into a program and blew him up. It's like, what possibly is a threat to you? And and he seemed to have, like, a very clear direction. It's part of the rocket boots. It's that, like, you can see in your head all the stuff to be accomplished. But when we get to two, when we get to Reloaded, he's, he's just as strong as before. Later, we'll see him stop a flurry of automatic weapon bullets. It's just, you know, let's take it up a notch from the end of the first one. He's fighting, like, eight dudes at once. Programs who are supposed to be, you know massively more powerful than just, you know, agents or people. So he's he's even more powerful, possibly, than you saw him last. But he still has no idea what he's supposed to be doing. He spends that second movie making the choices that he can, based on what he knows. But he literally, when we meet him in the first, you know, few moments, he's like, the Oracle's gone, and I literally don't know what to do with myself. That's an interesting place to start him in two. The way you yeah. left him in one, and he seems he's got so much purpose and so much drive, and then you open in two, and it's kind of like you reset him a little bit, where yeah. he's back to where he was in the beginning of the first one, where he's kind of aimless. Yeah. He doesn't know, and Morpheus isn't here to tell him what to do. Morpheus is standing next to him, saying, yeah, I don't here. know either. Yeah, but he's like, I don't know. Like, you were supposed to fix everything when you showed up. <laughs> let's talk to the Oracle. She'll tell us what to do, and then she's not here. She's gone. She's just off the board. And they're all just scratching their heads. Yeah. It makes them a little more human. It brings him back down. That, like, he has all this power and so much drive, but he doesn't know where to point it. Yeah. And everybody's trying to push him in one direction or the other, trying to fill his head with what he's supposed to do. Exactly. And he's just following his gut. Yeah. And it leads him some interesting places. Yeah. It's just like, and, but, and, I, and I love that, like, that he knows he doesn't know. And he, and he has these, you know, premonition visions that, like, Trinity's probably gonna die, but he's not telling her that. And he's worried. He's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, I, and everybody's looking at me like I am the Messiah, right? Yeah, I got a, you know, my kid Jacob aboard the Gnosis. Could you look after him? He's like, uh, I'll try. <laughs> I'll do my best. Like, I'm not Jesus. I'm sorry. I don't know. I got powers, but I, I don't know. Not that much. You know, like, I, I'm really, I'm worried my girlfriend's gonna die. And he's just, he spends a good chunk of the movie, even when, like, oh, hey, we found the Oracle. Time to go talk to her. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. He goes, you know, and, and she says things reminiscent of the first time they met. It's a lot of, like, you expect me to give you wisdom, but I'm really just a mirror. I'm just, most of this is just reflecting back what do you think. Yeah. And he's like, oh, 
Okay, okay. And then responsibility is weighing on it. Yeah, you can't just turn to her and say, what do I do? She says, I don't know. What do you What do you think you should do? Yeah, it's a lot of that. And he's like, ah, okay, okay. You know, and then does give him a direct thing to do. Yeah. You've got to go to the source. But to get to the source, you need the keymaker. To get the keymaker, you need to go to this guy. It's like, okay. about choice and cake. Yeah, and you're going to go talk to this guy. This guy's going to literally, he's going to get a salmon and just slap your face with like, you don't even know why you're here, dummy. You have no idea. What do you need the keymaker for? He makes keys to open what? Ostensibly, they'd be like, I don't know, the source. That's what you told me. Whatever that it's is. Like, but why? You don't even know. You're coming to me asking me for a favor. You don't even know what you're doing. It's just mocking their lack of understanding and their, their lack of context, their lack of information. It's like, you have all this strength. What can you do with it? You don't know what you're doing. It is a good monologue. I mean, he, he makes a good speech. He makes a lot of good points. A lot of good points, yeah. It's a really interesting direction to take two in. Yeah. You did not expect Unexpected. After the first one, it's where we're going to go. Right. You just figured it would be more wall-to-wall, you know, fights and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that this philosophy would be there. It almost seems like they did the first one. It was all interweaved very mm-hmm. intuitively, very organically. Two and three, it all, like, it, it separated, like, oil and water a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, like, we'll fight, and we'll get high-minded, but we're gonna do them in little pieces. A <laughs> lot, lot more philosophy. Yeah, we're gonna get a lot more into that. We're gonna have this guy talk to you about causality. And you don't know why you're doing this, but you're doing it anyway. Okay. <laughs> you know, and a lot of that's the, the surface-level stuff that's missing from two. Yeah, that if you'd w- woven them together a little more elegantly... People wouldn't be sitting there going, ah, the French guy talked for too long. No, it would have, would have been wrapped up in all this other stuff you wouldn't even have noticed. Mm-hmm. Would have felt like, you know, uh, Morpheus training Neo. And like, there are a bunch of philosophical ideas being stuffed into this fighting training, but we're doing that at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you don't so notice. Separated them out, I mean, made them not so integrated. Which, yeah. you know, I mean, that's fine. It's just kind of a choice. You know, it's not necessarily good or bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what, oh, wait, what I was going to say is even by the end of the movie... He has the strength. He say, he gets to the source. This whole plan that somebody gave him. As much as she reflected back, she said, go do this. And then they, uh, they did. He gets to the source. And then he gets another guy with more insight, with more knowledge, with more understanding of what this all is. And that guy basically tells him, you're just a pawn, dude. You're just a pawn in a bigger game. It's the same speech, different words. Yeah. It's like, no matter, he has... Godlike powers. Doesn't matter. You are just, you're supposed to walk through that door and we reload. Everybody in Zion dies. Ostensibly, you probably die after you pick some people or restart Zion. The function of the one is now to return to the source, allowing a temporary dissemination of the code you carry, reinserting the prime program. After which you will be required to select from the matrix 23 individuals, 16 female, 7 male, to rebuild Zion. You know, a section of humanity persists and it all starts over. Cool. It's like, well, no. No. And that's the corner still, like, that's the turning point of that movie. Is once he learns, once he, in a sense, been brought up to the level of awareness and knowledge and context and, like, insight that everyone else has, everybody's been, like, slapping him with fish, making him feel dumb. Then he's like, wait a minute. Now that I get it, now that I know the system, y'all forgot I was a hacker. I'll figure it out. And then that's what the third movie is all about. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot about power, but without knowledge, without wisdom, what can you do with it? Nothing. Fight a lot of programs and have a freeway fight. Yeah. yeah. Well, for two, for Reloaded. Yeah. You know, that's, all that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And what we were talking about, what was what was missing from two for me. Yeah, okay. It's, it's not really fair 
because it's more just the problems of filmmaking. But for me, what I think is missing from Reloaded is Tank. Oh. You know, that's... Oh. Excusing some yeah. of the effects work and like, this doesn't look that good. Yeah. The courtyard fight, you know, with Agent yeah, Smith brawl. and the burly brawl. Like, I think the first half is beautiful. The second half kind of looks like a video game. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. It doesn't look that good. Nobody wanted it to turn out that way, but it did. No. And that's, that's just filmmaking problems and the Tank situation. You yeah. Know, the actor... You know, got crazy, and so they wrote him out and yeah. replaced him with a new character, Link. And yeah. Link's great. Well, I like him. For the people who don't know the story. Yeah. yeah. What happened? To, what happened to Tank? I go ahead. You talk. Oh, all right. <laughs> so uh, Marcus Chong is the actor, and uh, he was one of the few remaining alive characters at the end of the first movie. Most of the crew's dead, but you had basically Morpheus, Trinity, Neo, and Tank. He was wounded, but he was alive. So you figure he'll show up in the sequel, but uh, uh, I guess when they were talking about doing the sequel, then Marcus Chong, I guess, hooking onto that idea that he's like, hey, I'm one of the four characters, you know, left from the beginning of the, or the end of the first one. So I should be, you know, I should be getting Lawrence Fishburne money. I should be getting star money. And I guess, you know, the producers and, and Warner Brothers and Village Roadshow and everybody, whatever, they were just like, nah, no, you're not getting movie star money. I'm sorry, we're not going to pay you that. I mean, the, the, the two movies, Reloaded and Revolution, is getting shot at the same time. It was already an insane budget. Yeah. And that's, that's a big part of it. And, and you're so already... If, if he's claiming, like, pay me three times what you think you're going to pay me, even though he's getting a fat raise, and yeah. you say no, I was like, come on, dude. Yeah. What do you... Just uh, get in the movie. What do you... know? Just an unfortunate choice for that guy. I don't know. Uh, he was... That was a bad idea, guy. Like, I know you're one of the few left, but you're not a movie star. Not yet. And not now. Like, you should have just taken the deal with whatever raise they were going to give you. I assume they would have. You are going to shoot two more movies, man. Oh. But yeah, he, uh, I guess he was upset that they weren't going to pay him a bunch of money. I don't know what the numbers were. But, uh, you know, they weren't going to, you know, give him that kind of cash, so he threw a fit, and, and he showed up on the studio lot at some point, and he started, like, eating craft service on some movie or show that he had nothing to do with, because he was going to try and, I don't know, show up and convince people. So uh, then they threw him off the lot, and then they were like, you know what, this guy's playing too hard, and we could just replace you, so we're going to replace you. It's unfortunate from a story perspective. Yeah. The movie itself, that's what I'm more concerned about. I'm not too concerned with the behind-the-scenes negotiation business side. Yeah. You know, I like to focus just more on the story, and if you don't have Tank, how do you handle the replacement? How do you yeah. do it? There are better ways. Yeah, I, I do know, wish they'd would, gone a slightly different way. I would take a recasting before just, uh, oh, he died off-screen, and here's the new guy. I, Which I, is strange. You could have just recast him. Like, I wouldn't have liked it. Yeah. You know, we could have done anything. You know, he was wounded and half his face is covered. And so it's a different actor, but you don't, you know, lose that. You know, yeah, but he's in, like, scarred up prosthetic across half his face. Yeah. So well, you like, could you could convince yourself, eh, that looks kind of like the same guy. He could do anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'll take a recasting, which it does happen later, in, you know, in Revolutions. We'll talk yeah. about that in a second. Yeah. You could have just done the same move, but, you know. It is a bummer. I don't it just, like it. It's, it's one of the sloppier story elements of two. Like, uh, we, we could have done this better. He was alive, and then you're just telling me, oh, no, actually, he, uh, you know, I don't know, succumbed to his injuries or something else. He's dead. Link jumped in. Moving he, on. Let's not talk about him. I was like, uh, uh, I, I don't like, I don't like <laughs> it. As, yeah. long, as long as we're talking about stuff that's missing, what about from the first one? What do you think? Oh, man. Uh, what? It is almost a perfect movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's missing? What's missing? I, uh, a couple things. Okay, here's what I'm gonna go with off the top of my head. We got, uh, this is partly dependent on what Reloading Revolutions did. But in Reloading Revolutions, those, we see a lot more hovercrafts, and we see them all shooting 
and sentinels all over the place. <laughs> In that first movie, when you see the outside of the Nebuchadnezzar, it has guns. You can see them. They never shoot them. Not once. And when they do get approached by a sentinel, they're like, oh crap, hide. And then maybe we'll use the EMP if we have to. It's like, how come everybody's shooting at him all day long in the sequels? And you guys never once were like, I don't know, let's jet out of here, shoot at it, and get away. It's like their tactics changed in two, clearly, I don't know, because they wanted to, they liked the visual, let's shoot them off. It's more drastic, desperate times. You know, maybe they're a little more loose with like, uh, they're noisy, it attracts more attention. I get it. But it is, it does seem like a slightly weirdly inconsistent. And if you're, if you're going forward, you can't go back and fix that in the first one, but you could have made a different choice in two and three. True. That's that's something I never even noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're digging pretty deep on the yeah. first one. What's missing? <laughs> and I'm like, they didn't use those guns. <laughs> they I, had them. It didn't even occur to me. I, it just seems strange in retrospect. It, it totally works in the moment. Mm -hmm. and, and it's forgivable. Mm -hmm. But uh, the only other thing I would say, maybe, maybe, it works for me. But, uh, you know, Trinity and Neo, they're kind of simmering, developing love for each other mm. is super subtle. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to say the love story with Neo and Trinity. And I mean, it, it really boils down to if you're doing it with this character of Trinity and yeah. the way that she would express it and how she would feel yeah. about him and what the Oracle had told her that, you know, she will fall in love with the one. Yeah. And the important role that she's going to play in his life. The same kind of thing that she had said to Morpheus. Yeah. You're going to be really important to him. Yeah, you're not him, person. but you're going to be really important to this guy you haven't met yet. Yeah. And to have that in your head, and then to meet him, and for him to be so introspective and so stoic in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so is she, except she's yeah. hardened by war. You know, she's a soldier. Yeah. You she's have, been out for a long time. Yeah, to have these two, you know, express their feelings for each other and to, to <laughs> feel it. It's kind of like you have you have a soldier and you have a Buddhist monk over here. Yeah. It's like they have feelings for each other. But like, how do we how do we do it in how this landscape? See that? <laughs> And it's like, it, it would be hard. It would look a little like this. <laughs> That's exactly what it would look like. So if you keep that in mind, it is pitch perfect. And I can see why, work. why people would say at the end, it was like, oh, it just comes out of nowhere. They're like, no, it was it was there. You could see it. Yeah, it was, it was just... There. It's just not in Whew. the conventional way that you would expect. This is a no. different kind of story. And it yeah. is unconventional. It's not every love story looks exactly the way you think it does. And yeah. so that's the only complaint. It's not the story itself or the way that it was played. It's just it didn't resonate with audiences as much as it should when you're going to depend on it so heavily in 2 and in 3. Yeah. You see that in Reloaded. It's going to become more and more important as you go forward. Yeah. It's like, whoa. In Reloaded, they go out of their way to emphasize more them. I mean, we have a whole rave sex scene. Yep. Just them sneaking out to make passionate love to each other. And it's like, we need to add more heart. We need to add more emotion and how they feel like let's yeah. just kind of open that up trinity i know you can hear me i'm not letting go i can't i love you too damn much and you know which is a good idea if everybody's complaining from the first one they're like it was barely there i was like well, yeah. I mean, come on it's not like there was a courtship here it's not like they went on any dates yeah. you know they're basically just kind of put together and they have a connection but they haven't explored it because they're too busy fighting for their lives yeah and i do think reloaded put in a lot of that work and they did kind of not make up for it but explore it and have it more sensual and more romantic and, and carry got all of that yeah there was a lot more of that it was a definite you know they are demonstrating they're caring for each other they are demonstrating their passion and sensuality with each other so much so that they're like you want to you want to blow out of this party and go bang <laughs> like yes screw this 
It's like he left the club from the first movie. I know why you're here, Neil. But instead he went home with her. And they're both like, this is great. <laughs> Which is interesting. I mean, especially for the first one, and they play it later in Reloaded and, and Revolutions. There is a lot of sexuality in these movies. Especially oh, yeah. kind of the, the kinky stuff, you know, the, the yeah. little weirder stuff, the sex clubs. There's a BDSM, like, vibe over all of it. Yeah, all of it has that vibe. A lot of the, the stuff they're wearing, you know, the leather and the yeah. weird latex outfits and all of this stuff. It's reminiscent of, like, yeah. European sex clubs and whatnot. <laughs> And so to have the romance story be completely it's... desexualized in the first one, it is more kind of a spiritual connection between them. Yeah. And so you never really got the conventional idea of what love would be and, and yeah. you know, the attraction. And two, it was like, okay, let's, let's kind of make up a little bit for that. We didn't really do it in the first one. We didn't have an opportunity. So now let's yeah. really get into that. Yeah. And so that's good. So I mean, all... I think Reloaded is one of the one of the really good things Reloaded did. Yeah. That's true. Those, the, and, it, and it fits well, though, that, that BDSM vibe. Oh, yeah. Especially with all of these ideas of, like, control, choice, freedom. It's all, like, this is sexuality expressed in the context of, like, you know, inflicted pain or su submission and absolute control. Like, it's all the themes of the higher order stuff of, like, a society or a reality or, you know, oppression and all of it, but then drilled down into people's romantic and sexual en encounters. Like, it's, it's all woven into each other. It's great. It's a mixing of all these different ideas. It's what the movies do so well. Yeah. Take conflicting ideas and make them into one and say, no, both sides make sense as a whole. We're going to take opposite sides, pain and pleasure. We're going to mix it together. As long as the choice you. is there. Exactly. <laughs> That's the point. Or why it becomes so big. Such a big deal. Let's move into revolutions. All right, let's do it. Main takeaway, what do you think? Main takeaway. Because this, this being the last one, not just the movie itself, oh. but the series as a whole. Yeah. This is where we end it. Oh, man. Man, main takeaway. It, uh, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this already. I mean, we, we just did, basically. I, me I remember being basically almost, uh, like, surprised at the, at the very end there. Where he, he allows Smith to punch him in the guts, take him over, and then he, all of them are blown up. But like, right before that, when he's, when he's saying, you know, he's kicking Neo in the mud and stuff, and he's just like, why? Why, Mr. Anderson, why? Why do you persist? Because I choose to. Yeah. Like, it literally, it's such, it's such an unconventional choice. It's a great moment, though. And it is. This story. It's such a beautiful, unique thing that this that this movie and these three give us is that it's a huge action sci-fi trilogy but it and it goes you know hey you know like the visceral emotional satisfaction of like putting a sword through the bad guy yeah we're not gonna do that <laughs> that's not what it's about we're going a few steps higher this time we gave you that in one like we're gonna get we're gonna get a little deeper he's gonna because it doesn't work yeah, I mean, and that story's a demonstration of that. It's not how you resolve this conflict. It's not about dominance, and it's not about destroying your opponent. Yeah, And that's, not... that's really when it all comes together for these three movies. And that's, that's for me, that's that's my takeaway. Yeah. For the third one, I, I really liked everything they got into. I brought up the love stuff before because it comes so much more important later. Yeah. But in the third one, that's basically what it is. What is the answer to this conflict of man versus machine? Yeah. What separates them and what, what binds them and how do we solve this? Yeah. And, it's, and it's love. It is. And you could say that that's a little hokey. Yeah, or, you, you know, say it's corny. Say it's corny and all that. And people said that about the end of the first one. You know, the corniness <laughs> yeah. of bringing the love. Oh, the love wasn't there enough. And oh, the love was corny. Or this yeah. or that. And you're like, no, it's pure. And it's simple. And it's beautiful. Yeah. You it can is. cut through all of this nonsense and get straight to 
It's about love. That's what this is about. We're trying to achieve harmony and yeah. peace. That's the foundation of it. That's what makes us human. But yeah. when the programs start to experience love, yeah. when Neo's in the subway station and he's talking to them, the yeah. family that's trying to escape, that's it's why we have that scene. He's just explaining it to him, like programs feel yeah. love and what you call love. That's what we call love. It's semantic. What matters is the connection the word implies. It's yeah. the same idea. It's fantastic. It's form, but it's the same form. Yeah. And it really puts it into his head and it starts churning. They're like, that's the answer. That's, a, that's yeah. a great way to start the third movie. Like, that's what it's all about. I gotta figure yeah. out how to love my enemy. That's, yeah. that's really Eastern philosophy here. You know, we're moving into a little more Middle Eastern. Yeah. But big time, Whoa. love your enemy. That's how you solved this, and that's how Neo did it. Which yeah. is an American action movie. Like, no, it's the good guy punches the bad guy harder. Yeah. And he wins. <laughs> he punches him so hard, he, you know. And Neo does punch him really, really hard. He does do that a lot. They punch each other so many times. We get that moment in bullet time of his face being punched. But he just gets right back up. To it's almost the point that it's demonstrating it's the futility of it. Exactly. That's not how you do this. Yeah. Stop resisting. Accept him. Bring him into yourself. Become him. Become your enemy. In love. And yeah. That's what it's about. Which is the much, much harder choice. Much harder. And a lot of people are going to say, what? Yeah. Because they haven't they seen it. They don't get it. Yeah. And that's fine. Hopefully this puts the idea in their head that they can branch out a little bit. Maybe it's not always <laughs> about being stronger than the other guy. Yeah, maybe take a second. Reflect on the larger context. Like, what is your actual goal? This... This feud between man and machine has been going on for centuries. Like, by the time we hear this stuff and Reloaded, this is apparently... The year has to be not 21-something, it's like 27-something. It's crazy. It's crazy in the future. It's the same idea yeah. as perpetuating themselves. And Neo has got the courage to break Sansara, the Sansara, you're stuck in that illusory reality of just this constructed conflict between two sides. But you don't actually need it. That's everything he's saying when he goes to Machine City and he talks to the yeah. giant baby head. You know? <laughs> and he's just saying, we gotta hey, work buddy. together. <laughs> We're gonna stop Smith. We gotta partner up. That's the only way this works. Yeah. And the baby head is mad. You know? Like yeah. Machine's expressing more emotion. Like a little baby. Uh, like, kind of like a baby, yeah. And uh, Neo is so calm. It's another one of my favorite yeah. Neo scenes because he's basically just whispering, man. It's like he doesn't even have to talk. <laughs> Babyhead already knows and he's just pissed off. Got a swirling, little swarm of mini sentinel thingies. And Neo's just like... Peace. <laughs> he just, he is just whispering at this giant Wizard of Oz babyhead. He's also just really tired. He's come to the end of his journey and he knows he's got one more push. Yeah, he just watched his love die. Yeah, Trinity's dead, he's blind, he is literally humbled, man. He is now just a straight Gandhi figure. Yeah. Where he just comes to you and he just says, Peace. He is just what this is about. Arms open, just just take the deal. That's all I want, man. You embrace me, I embrace you. Let's do it. With this robot thing in the back of my head. Let's go. With this needle into my brain and let's get it done. And as, as long as we're talking about this, my second point I wanted to talk about was okay. Agent Smith. Oh, okay. I want to talk about this guy. Yeah. Besides Neo, he's my second favorite character. <laughs> okay. Awesome. My first favorite character is Morpheus. In case you're paying attention. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's Neo and Morpheus tied. They're both great. I can't decide. <laughs> they are great. Agent Mor Smith. Agent Smith. He is fantastic. I do love him. He's good. He's almost... He's... Well, you know, he doesn't... I was gonna say, he's almost a demonstration of this character growth on the machine side, but, you know, he doesn't really get all the way. He doesn't. No, he's a tragic figure. Yeah. He gets, uh, you know, we spend... You know, two and three, he gets 
he just gets so ego inflated he takes over the entire system. He just feels that's the need, that's what I'm gonna... You set me free, Neo. You gave me the choice that you as a human being were already like given, as a given. <laughs> I got the same thing when you blew me up and I was just mad at you for taking away my purpose. He has no idea what to do with himself. No, and without an oracle or a Morpheus or no one else to like tell him what he's supposed to do other than like, hey, jump in the source, get deleted, dummy. He's like, that sounds awful. He said no. He made the unconventional choice. He did something he wasn't supposed to do. I knew the rules. I understood what I was supposed to do, but I didn't. And then he becomes the very thing that he hates. He talks about in the first one. Humans are a virus. Human beings are a disease. He hates the unpredictability of it. He hates the lack of control, the lack of purpose. And he becomes a virus with no real purpose other than to consume and destroy becomes that thing that he hates. He becomes more human. Yeah. The way that he perceived humans to be. Yeah. It's he, like he, he doesn't even realize that. He, he delved... He's blind to it. He delved deeper into that kind of, like, animalistic instinct brain. Mm-hmm. Where we've got, like, you know, Zencom Buddha Neo, who's, like, operating almost entirely out of, like, his top-level neocortex, uh, where that's, like, the rational, like, I'm just gonna make a choice mm-hmm. based on all of the possibilities and imaginal realms I can see. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go this way. He delved deeper into the thing he hated. He got into that monkey brain, where he's just like, ah, I just hate that guy, I guess. Let's take it all over. <laughs> power! So he, but he, you know, well, he grows more powerful. I was gonna say he grew, but again, he didn't really. As a character, no, he became more human. He expressed his identity. Yeah. He was kind of in chains in the first one. He is a, a tool in this system. Yeah, he He's gained caught. a kind of freedom. Now, you know, when he got his freedom, he just kind of turned up the volume on that identity because it's all he is. It's all yeah. he has. Because he is not self-actualized. He's not the type of program who can experience love. But he sure can't hate. <laughs> and he can do that real well. He can well. do that real well. You know, he loves it in a way. He has passion. Yeah. You know, a permutation of love, but it's directed towards destruction and war. And he, that's what makes yeah. him a great opponent. And also makes him so ignorant. Yeah. He's not thinking. He's doing it. And Neo's just like, this is not the answer. They fight each other so many times. <laughs> yep. Because Smith keeps attacking over him. and over. And I and that's well, two things. One, we also see the exact same idea played out with the Merovingian and his lady. Mm-hmm. Right? We've got this. It's not love. It was once. They loved each other once upon a time. When they first came to the Matrix, she laments how he's become something else. Mostly by power and more of a scumbag. And- yeah, and he's, he's, we, I mean, we see an elaborate production of how he's lacing code into this cake to get, like, I'm assuming human blue pills to eat it so they get so turned on that they want to blow him in the bathroom. Like, that's some pretty low-level passion, a kind of channeled sexuality, but a domineering, weirdy kind of version. Yeah, I mean, it always, it always played really kind of petty. Yeah. For a guy who's lamenting about how powerful he is, and he's like, yeah. "Look at how I can convince people to blow me in a bathroom." Yeah, and it was like, like, "This guy is somebody kill this guy." You have so you much know? power. You have, and if and if you were a person of integrity, you wouldn't have a problem with like getting ladies if that's your thing, guy. But like, he's like, "No, no, no! Watch, watch how I'm gonna dupe this chick. I'm gonna put, some, I'm gonna roofie her in her cake, but she's gonna feel like she's making this choice. But really, she's ignorant of the influencing factors." So demonstrating Neo's yeah. ignorance. It's all about emotions. He's manipulating emotions. Yeah. That's what he's following. And as a program, it is demonstrating how much 
they have become more human. And it is a very petty, very simple version of that, that he's kind of the corrupted version of a human. Where he is all about greed and power and, and ego. And that's what a lot of these, these villains that Neo's fighting, it's all just ego. Yeah. Run wild. And it was like, that's a very human thing. That's what defines consciousness. Yeah. They're more human than the soldiers are, than Neo is. In a Neo's way, yeah. More enlightened. Like, he's actually a person, <laughs> but he's evolved beyond that. It's like they've devolved. Yeah. And she, I mean, it's like the whole reason they end up in that freeway fight is because he's like, check out, I'm going to ma- manipulate this girl with a cake. And then later, his lady is like, you just, you got blown by that chick in the bathroom. Screw you. Like, <laughs> this so love between them. It's high school. He high just school stuff, you know? <laughs> throws him right under the bus because, hey, you were cheating on me, and, like, right in front of me. Mm-hmm. You're a dick. And then he's like, oh, what? This is just a game. These idiots are pawns. She's like, yeah, well, screw you anyway. Man, this is a game, too. This is me playing the game that you started. Yeah. Shouldn't have played bad, bro. Like, she gives him up. We, that's what the next 30, 45 minutes are a consequence of her feeling burned by him. Feeling like she doesn't have access to that deep, burning, emotional love that they had at some point in the past. That's why she wants to make out with Neo in the bathroom. Yeah. And, like, you gotta make me feel like you mean it. But you have to make me believe I am her. Like all feelings. They want emotions. Like currency, you know, they just want to absorb it, the good ones and the bad ones. Yeah. Because they we're trying to communicate this idea that they are more human than these soldiers are. They've become more like machines that humans have. Yeah. And now these programs are becoming more like people. We're going to meet somewhere in the middle, and that's what revolutions really yeah. did. And I really liked them. That's, that's the takeaway for not just the movie, but the whole series. I mean, yeah. how do you resolve this in a way that makes sense for yeah. this story? Yeah. Neil finally gets there. He lost everything, but he finally gets to that point. He chose it. He chose it. And we keep hitting this point, but like that's that's a I feel like it's worth hitting. When he when he gets back from his coma, he gets out. He literally just spends the next ten whatever minutes. He's like, I I, I gotta think. <laughs> and he literally just sits <laughs> in his bunk. Just excused himself to go think. Everybody else is doing stuff. He goes and sits in his bunk. He has some flashes of like three cables going across the, you know, ruined post-apocalyptic landscape. And then he makes a choice. And he's just like, I don't know what's gonna happen. Well, you know, we have no idea if he saw more than the three cables. I feel like we probably, he didn't. He just intuited from that what's gonna happen. And when he talks to Trinity, and he's like, I don't know if I'm coming back. Like, I, I probably not. Probably not. And like, you, that's fine. No, you stay here. And she's like, nah, man, I'm going with you. And like, they both very palpably understand they probably die at the end of this. Mm. And they do. But, like, he deliberately chose it. So did she. And he gets to that fight. They're finally in the crater with Smith. And he's saying it. He's explicitly saying, I'm sticking around because I choose to. Mm. It's soon after that he he finally comes to that point of knowing where he's just like, you were right the whole time, man. It was inevitable. Like, just do it. The only way out of this is this connection, is this love, is this acceptance that is outside this dualistic conflict we got going on. Both between the two of us and everything. It's a fractal floating all the way up. Every level is the same problem. But that, that is, I don't know if it counts as a takeaway, but this is one of the moments I love in that third movie. It's that moment, that look on Neo's face when he's being taken over. Mm-hmm. That just amazing peace. Mm-hmm. It's not painful. It's not, there's no scaredness there. There's no fear. Mm-hmm. He's just, this is what I chose to do. And it's happening. Like, he just accepts this, you know, glassy dark mirror as it consumes him. 
And it's just like, oh, that right there. That's it. That's, that's the answer. He got it. He figured it out. It's not about fighting. It's about not fighting. Yeah, which... It's about ending all this madness. Everybody thinks that's how you win the war. Yeah. It's not about the it's war. It's not about that. It's about what happens after. It's about how do we make peace? How do we live together? There's no extinguishing each other. That's not how it works. Yeah, you literally can't get away with that. It just won't happen. You extinguish the machines. The Matrix falls apart. Everyone connected to them probably dies. Like a good, huge chunk. The, you know, the city, Zion's kept alive by different machines, yes. So it's more of a metaphor on that level. But it's like, the actual way forward is peace, love, connection. That's what I love about Smith's arc through these movies. That he is a system of control. He's a part yeah. of a larger system, but he himself is defined by it. He's freed from it, but then still chooses to do it because that's who he is. And two, he becomes yeah. a virus and all he wants is to consume and control and to make order, make everybody exactly like him. Make, yeah. make them fit into his worldview. And then... Yeah. In the third, he just goes even harder with it. He takes over the Oracle. And even when he becomes her, yeah. he can't bring her into him. He has to take over her. So he misses the point yeah. of this tragic figure. In the end, he knows everything that's going to happen. He knows what everybody's yeah. going to say down to the down to a T. And he doesn't get it. He doesn't yeah, understand no. anything. He sees the future. He laughs because he sees him winning. He sees his hand buried in Neo's guts. And he's like, oh, I'm doing it. I win. He but learns. He, but he doesn't see past that. He doesn't get anything. Because he doesn't understand. He also kind of doesn't exist after that. Yeah, that's the best part. It destroys him. His own ignorance. He's the personification of this idea. He relishes his own... Destroyed. He relishes his own path to destruction. Yeah. He's laughing the whole way. It's just gnashing teeth, anger, and, and elation that he wins. But you win, and then it's your own undoing, you dummy. He used his own identity to destroy him. To destroy this idea, metaphorically... Of what we're trying to say here. I mean, you want to overcome war, this is not how it's done. Yeah. Smith personifies that. And then he's just blown, just like in the first one. Yep, a recurrence. Blown out from the inside. Look at that. <laughs> it's the same thing, it's just a meg mega level. Just little stars exploding everywhere. Uh, he understands himself so well, but he can't learn. He can't grow. Yeah. So I really liked everything they did with Smith. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. What, uh, what, do you, what do you think was missing from, from Revolutions? Oh, uh, I had to pick one thing. I had to pick one thing. Oh, you know what? I, uh... <laughs> this is a small nitpick. But Neo's in a coma towards the end of the movie, uh, the beginning of the movie. He's still knocked out. They think his brain somehow seems to... Uh, looks like it's in the Matrix, but they can't find him in the Matrix. Mm -hmm. Seraph, Trinity, Morpheus all go to Club Hell mm -hmm. to get the Merovingian yeah. and get him to let Neo go because they figure it out that's who has him. Mm-hmm. You need to turn those lights down, gentlemen. That, <laughs> that friggin' club. This is a nitpick. This is a this is a fetish program outsider club. It's literally underground. Mm. And, and like, why is it so bright in here? Yeah, you gotta turn those lights down. Like, this would look amazing and otherworldly, and it looked like the the river Styx is parting around them as they like just kind of spin like a ninja star through it with their guns drawn. And it'd just be like, oh my, what did I see? Like, somebody's wearing a knife on their face? Like, what? What is that? And instead, I'm looking at a bunch of people in fetish getup that they bought at a sex store somewhere. Yeah. Like, turn the lights down. It's not great. It's not great. You had lasers. You had, no. you could have yeah. just done mood lighting. It's a club. What club has lights on like this? It does, it does ruin the mood. That, that's, I agree with you. I do, I'll nitpick a little bit here too. Yeah. It ruins the mood. Not just because it doesn't look yeah. as good as it could, but like it's supposed to be scary. I want. Yeah, uh, it's supposed to be super intimidating. I, I 
think of the scary club that you're walking into, I think of Blade 2. If you've seen Blade <laughs> 2, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I think that was also called Club Hell. <laughs> I wouldn't, not I wouldn't sure. Express. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but probably, right? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's a crazy vampire nightclub. You walk in there, yeah. and it's weird, and it's scary, and you're like, holy crap. You need to say to yourself, I know, like, we're badasses, but I don't know if we get out of here alive. Yikes. Like, it needs to inspire that kind of fear and, like, mystery. Appropriate level of creepiness. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're going for. And, I mean, I, I do like all the stuff that Reloaded. I mean, our Revolutions did. You know, I, I like those fights. I like when they're in the coat check. Yeah. They do a lot of cool stuff. But you actually yeah. get into the club. And I was like, man, if you would just turn the lights down a little bit, it wouldn't have ruined the mood. I wouldn't notice yeah. right now. I would. It just it would have taken that moment to, you know, three yeah. levels above what it was. It would have been so much cooler. That's just, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because it is just the importance of tone. Yeah. And the importance of mood that you think it's not that important. I'm telling you it is. Yeah. It colors that entire moment when he is on his balcony and he, like, gets the music to stop. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he's the king of this place. It's like, because these lights are so bright, because there's no mystery, there's no creepy, scary sense of this space, I, I, I don't, I'm not scared. I feel like, especially with Seraphir, we can take him. We'll be all right. Yeah. You know, like, it'll be bad, but it, it, none of us are dying. It's like, but you needed to feel like this is life or death. This is bad. And that's that's the king of hell right there. And he's about to, okay, I'll talk with you. Let's see what you, know, what you got to say before you die. Mm -hmm. Instead, it just feels like, you know, it feels like a fetish club somewhere. So underwhelming. And, I mean, it is important to, to bring that up. Yeah. That it, it colors is, that whole moment. It does. And from a filmmaking and storytelling perspective, you know, all it takes is one mistake. There's so many things going into a scene and a sequence and just one wrong move. And like, ah, the whole thing's stumbling. It's tripping. Yeah. You're screwed. You're not. You're not only stumbling this moment. You're. You're now tripping us up for everything that comes out next. Because mm -hmm. you are. You are the setup for the next moment and the next yeah. and the next and the next. So the flow is disrupted. Yeah. I do like to see everything else about it. I really do like. I think it's great. I think it's some of the best Merovingian stuff. Yeah, it's did. better than the yeah than the restaurant. That's why it is so noticeable and yeah. so disappointing. Yeah. And as long as we're nitpicking, I mean, what I think's missing. Yeah. Is the Oracle. I, oh, I wish, yeah. I wish that's that a she big was blow. not recast. I mean, I, That's a big blow. I do keep talking about things like this, you know, uh, business decisions <laughs> and like filmmaking decisions, things that you couldn't control. Couldn't really help that much. You know, I mean, she passed away. Yeah. You got to replace her. And I'm glad they wrote it into the story. They made it that, you know, yeah. she has a new body. Yeah. And you did try to do that. And I was like, I couldn't we do the same thing with Tank? Yeah. Something similar. Right? I mean, know, he's not a program, but. No. It'd be harder, but you know the thing about covering his face, or you yeah. know, or just or just recast him. Yeah. You know, it's just choices like that that they do color. Or, I honestly would have also taken just a better handling of he died. Here's our replacement. Like I feel like you, yeah. there's a way to pull that off. They were trying to avoid it and trying to just sweep it. You know, whatever. Yeah, like it's a non-issue because we assumed we'd just start this story with Tank, and now we don't have him. Uh, I don't want to spend a bunch of time showing you his funeral or something, or showing you. Him handing his, yeah. you know, through a letter off to his long-lost other brother. Like, you can't... <laughs> like, which it kind of did. He's their brother-in-law. Yeah. Tank and Dozer died, and I gotta... You know, I made him a promise off-screen when you didn't know I existed. And it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's I wish... Great. You tried. You did some stuff. I appreciate the effort. Yeah. It's not great. And I'm much more forgiving of the Oracle. The yeah. casting in the third. I wish it... Oh, it does hurt it, though. It does hurt. At the end of that movie... If it had been Gloria Foster, the original Oracle, in that crater, 
with the where Smith's body was taken over, you know, the the one that took over Neo. If it had been her, and then in the moments after, like the whole system reloads, it would have oh, it would have just been like two levels greater. It carries more weight. Everything you've built into it, you do lose it. Yeah, this whole idea that like yes, to a great extent, it was the Oracle moving a lot of pieces on the board. It was, but a whole lot of leaps of faith on her part too. She didn't know, but she thought maybe, like she hoped. She saw as far as her choices took her. Those the ones she understood anyway. It's like, oh, if it was just you, Mary Alice, the new Oracle is fine, but like, ah, oh, that's the thing, right? They did four things, the Animatrix, the, the movies, and the video game all in like four years. If they'd waited any longer, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have got her in uh, the second one. Yeah. She would have She would have passed away before Reloaded was shot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm glad we got at least that. Yeah. That's, these are just nitpicks. Yeah. You know, these are things you can't always control. Yeah. You do your best. But it's, it's worth talking about, the effect that it has and how it bears on the story. And I'm glad you brought up the Animatrix. That's the third thing I want to yeah, talk about. Yeah, we, we didn't even talk about that yet. No. It's, uh, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm loving it. They're, uh, I think the best one, clearly. I mean, if we're going to rank them. Yeah. It's, uh, the second Renaissance, part one and two. Definitely. That's what I wanted to talk about. The other ones are good. Yeah, they're, they're okay. They're, the they're stuff, cool. The stuff with the kid is the best it's good. stuff with the kid. The kid yeah. in the movies. You're like, that's not Ooh. the same kid. This, this guy's way too old. Yeah. You know, I mean, he did his voice. Nitpick, <laughs> you know, he looks too old. He should have been, like, 15. Yeah, he's written like he's almost, yeah, like, 14. Fit Like, like he just hit puberty six months to a year ago. Or, well, that's not 14, but you know what I mean. Like, he's still awkward. He is a child. He's ready to fall. Like, he, he still hero worships. That's why he would follow Neo around, like, that kind of thing. Like, this guy, this kid's too old. I don't know what happened, but... Just, you know... His naivete doesn't... It doesn't come across as authentic. Yeah. Poor choice, casting him. Like, the guy was good. It's just... Yeah, oh, you look like you're 20 years he's old. He's supposed to be, like, 13. Too old. You know? Besides that, the... Yeah. You know, renaissance. That's what I'm talking second about. Second Renaissance. The Second Renaissance. Feeds into everything we've been talking about. Yeah. Where it's... Yeah, written by the Wachowskis. For those of you who didn't know or haven't seen it, same people. And, uh, and it just dives deep on the history of the the origin of the conflict between the people and the machines. Mm-hmm. Like, how did we truly... You know, we got a sense. We got the story that Morpheus told us in the first movie. But this goes deeper into, like, what what happened? How did this build up? How What happened? And it really paints a very contrary... Which, again, is sort of a... I would, I would still call it sort of unconventional choice. Mm-hmm. Where you basically spend this whole two-part thing, a sort of prequel, going... Ah, the humans kind of screwed up. Like, they were the dicks, and the machines made every effort. And then when all of that was exhausted, then they put you in a fake reality. Yeah. Which is, like, more than maybe you deserved from a meta point of view. Mm-hmm. And really, like, the best way forward once you've decimated the Earth. Yeah. Like, it just makes the machines out to be heroes. <laughs> You're like, that's, ooh. That's why I wanted to talk about it. That's why I wanted to bring it up here at the end. As we're wrapping it up, that's what I wanted to leave the animals with. Yeah. This idea that the second renaissance might be the most important part of this Matrix story. Yeah. And they're not, it's not in the three movies. No. So if you skipped it, that's that's where it's at. Go watch that. That's what you need to do. It's beautiful. It's the beginning of that story. It's also, in a lot of ways, the end. Watch the trilogy and then watch that at the end so you understand <laughs> where it goes. And then you'll really understand what's going on. Everything comes together. I think it's a much more full appreciation of what they were doing story-wise. And it's yeah. one of my favorite parts of the trilogy. It's not in the trilogy, but story-wise, it is. Yeah, it feeds into all of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely 
it digs deep on the themes. It definitely, like, just the fact that it's called the Second Renaissance. Mm. Like, you watch it, and you'll notice that, like, in the beginning, it's a, this is a historical record from the Zion archives. You have selected historical file number 12-1. So, ostensibly, this is not propaganda from the machines or something. This is historical records as humanity has been able to keep them. So, it's not that, like, oh, the machines are just trying to make you feel bad for them. Or spin you a story where you feel like the bad guy, or you feel, like, grateful that they've imprisoned you in falsehoods. No, it's more like, this is a story of two camps of consciousness that just, just being idiots. Like, you were, you were just being us versus them. You were just throwing a divide because they were different. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah changes the entire story. It changes everything. And it feeds into everything that Neo has to accomplish. That that's why our hero is making this journey. Why he's gonna end with not so much killing the monster and punching him harder, but he's gonna end it by making the hardest of leaps. By making the choice that others wouldn't when they're pumped up with aggression and war. That we see in Sega Renaissance, nobody's making that choice. Like, especially the humans. They'd rather black out the sky to try to end the machines than, like, try to uh, find some sort of peace. Yeah, just fear, anger, hatred. It's it's the humans' time to get stuck in that monkey mind. Yeah. In that deep, you know, lizard brain of just kill and destroy because I'm scared and I'm angry. Mm. It's like, uh, like the machines show up at the UN wearing underwear and a tie <laughs> and a top hat <laughs> because they, it's like a misguided attempt at, at rapport, at commonalities. They're like, hey, we look like you. We're machines. We don't have to look like you. That's great. And we're wearing clothes as an attempt to be like, hey, I don't know, social norms. And then they just, no, no, get out of here. Go, your banished city out in the middle of nowhere. Well, not nowhere. It's in the Middle East somewhere. But like in the middle of the desert. Ostensibly, I assume, where like no resources are. So good luck. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It colors the entire story. It takes it to a, a new level. I think it's the most important part. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? the animals uh you know i wanted to say this and it, 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 i don't know that it feathers into anything we've been saying so far so much but um when these movies came out there was a time where uh uh smith and neo they're fighting in the sky they're hitting each other so hard there's like shock waves of bubbles blowing back raindrops and at the end of that fight more or less smith grabs neo and flies him into the into the ground into that giant crater and when they're looking down, it's the exact same skitty, cityscape. Skittyscape. It's the exact same cityscape from above that we saw at the end of the first movie. Yeah. It is the exact place that Neo ascended into godhood at the end of the first movie. Mm-hmm. It's where that phone booth was. He flies up into the air at the end of that first one. And at the end of the third, he gets pile-drived into that same place. Yeah. Revolutions. Yeah. It all comes back. Recurrence. Mm-hmm. And, uh... And there was a time people were like, oh, I don't know if I buy this whole Neo can, like, blow up Sentinels in the real world. How does this make sense? Blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's a Matrix within a Matrix. You know, it's it's ingenious. They think they've escaped the reality. They haven't. It's just layer number two. Blah, blah, blah. Which, yeah, I see how you got there, but it's not that intriguing an idea because then it's just turtles all the way down. And you don't, you know, the truth element, which is a big part of these stories, gets kind of sapped of its truthness. You could, but they didn't. Uh, but, um... Uh, so it was like, hey, I'm making two different points here. Okay, one, <laughs> you get pile drive to the same place. And uh, and if you notice at the end of the first movie, the like end of the story as such happens. They blow the EMP, Trinity kisses Neo, he wakes up in the real world, he's alive. 
and then we cut to like a trace program running and then we go into the screen and then we end up bouncing out of the phone neo's talking on it he flies there were a lot of people being like that last moment that last trace running and then him flying into the sky maybe that takes place after revolutions why because it's a phone booth at the same place that he gets pile-drived into at the end of revolutions so maybe he dies quote quote at the end of revolutions but then the oracle makes us think he'll come back one day when he's needed will we ever see him again i suspect so someday and so they're like he came back the same place that he you know he sort of died and then this is you know at the very very end of one it's actually his return which is you know intriguing it's an interesting but, idea but no because uh you know uh comic-con long ago we met the wachowskis yes we did and uh they they happened to be there that one year yeah and uh and i presented them with this idea just in a have you heard people are talking about maybe that end piece takes place after three and they were just like what no that's just cut the knees right off just, <laughs> just like interesting idea but nope. no like oh it's straight from the horse's mouth <laughs> they're just like no that's uh you know it's just returning to where he ascended from it's just it's they basically said it's recurrence there it's just a revolution it's, it's just it's just uh returning to the ground you know you live you die it's you know it's returning to where you were born in a sense they didn't yeah. they didn't elaborate quite that much but that uh, that idea and it was like oh all right cool <laughs> I just like that story. Is that, is that what you want to leave the animals with? Yeah. That one time you met the Wachowskis and asked yeah. them, and they were like, no. Not to sound like a big shot, but to say <laughs> that we, we told them this. And they were like, interesting. But that's not it. <laughs> okay. Which, you know, we figured. I just like that story. <laughs> it's also cool. It would actually be pretty awesome if they had designed it that well ahead of time. They're like, you didn't realize, but the very end of one is actually, you know, after three. But it'd also be very strange, because he seems very bent for war at the end of that first yeah. one. And that makes, really, that makes, really no, makes no sense <laughs> if it happens after three. Completely undercuts the theme. But why, why, why don't you hit me with something? I, I could come up with something else to leave the animals with. No, I think that's pretty appropriate. I think that's good. That's good? Yeah, <laughs> all right. I said, I said more than I wanted to say. I'm all, I'm all talked out. You're tapped out. Should wrap, should wrap this up. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, we do the thing. What thing? Best and favorite. What do you oh, think? man. Oh, you're right. Best and favorite. Ah, uh, ah, uh, man. I'm gonna go uh, best. The first one. Mm. Favorite. That first one. Let me hit you with this. Okay. Best one. Okay. The first one. Oh, favorite. Suppose. Yeah, it's the first one. <laughs> Come on, of course. Right. It's you know as much as we talked about how much we love two and three. The first one is just still just like a lattice work of brilliance. It's almost a perfect movie. All right. Well, animals, it's been fun. Same right. bones time, same bones place. You know where to find us. Yeah, in the bones cave.